When it's time to seed grass, fertilize turf, or add a pop of color to your yard, Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered with unbeatable deals on lawn and garden essentials. Find value on everything you need in-store or online at farmandfleet.com. Well, we're all still coming to grips with the fact that our Wisconsin State Fair is not occurring, Minnesota State Fair is not occurring, many of our county fair events are postponed until 2021, and a lot of people continue to ask the question, why did we make this decision? What is going to take place? What's going to come up in its place? Well, you know what? Remember, Wisconsin is not an island, folks. This is happening across the United States. Marla Calico is the president and CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions. That is really the coordinating bunch for a lot of our state fairs, a lot of our county fair interaction, helping us put together policy, protocols, etc. Marla, I want to start off asking you how your life as the president and CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions has changed since COVID-19 became your new reality. I'm guessing that the pace of work in the office uh, last year at this time might have been far different than it is as of today. Absolutely, Pam, and thank you very much. You know, our job as an international association is to serve our members. Our members consist primarily of county fairs, state fairs, all types of agricultural shows and fairs globally, and so we serve them, and we serve them by organizing meetings, uh, by uh, attending their meetings, uh, by going out. So my life personally has changed drastically because normally between um, the latter part of February and the end of May, I would be on the road every single weekend. Uh, I spend about a third of my life traveling. I visit fairs in progress. I speak at fair meetings, and we organize our own meetings. And so immediately, I, you know, February 26th is the day I'm not long going to forget because from February 26th onward, within a matter of days, we had to cancel seven meetings, which were organized by our association. We were on the line for hotels. So we spent the first probably three weeks in triage mode and, again, working more hours than I haven't worked since I used to work at a fairgrounds and trying to answer questions for our members and nobody having an answer. We have transitioned specifically over the last 60 days to being a connector. And and our logo, if you look at our logo, we're known as the network. And that's because we connect people together. We connect fair folk together and the people who serve those fairs, the carnivals, the food vendors, the insurance providers. So what we've done is connect them. We have organized all types of chat sessions. We've become experts at all of those using those virtual platforms. We already were using some of those. And, uh, you know, for example, in the month of May alone, we had some 40 meetings and over 2,500 people participating online in discussions from maybe a half a dozen to almost 300 people. We've done that. We we published a magazine, and so we shifted totally to a magazine that was different than anything we've ever done to focus on how our members are reacting. And so we're both pushing out information, trying to find answers for our members. We're convening them together virtually so they can and talk with each other and share ideas. And then we're taking the um, very innovative things that they're doing to survive and pushing that out to other members. Now, you say the end of February, Marla, and people in Wisconsin are going to say, well, wait a minute, what fairs or what state fairs were going on at that time? But in reality, there may have been some of those events that were caught almost right in the very beginning of COVID in the West and Southwest, correct? 
Absolutely. There's a major fair season across Florida, uh, into Texas in particular, a little bit into California. So February 26th was the day that I became aware. I'd, I'd been aware of uh, the coronavirus because I had been traveling overseas uh, for, in the latter part of January. But on February 26th was when we began to hear of incidents in the U.S. and what that might mean. And it wasn't very long. Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, which is uh, probably the largest single event held that is one of our fair members. Uh, they were in day eight of a 20-some day run, and they were shut down. And they were the first fair to be shut down. Uh, in the month of March, we had 15 member fairs, which were scheduled, uh, again, through primarily Texas and Florida. 13 of those were canceled. And then all of our member fairs happening in April and May uh, immediately began to be canceled, some with, you know, a week's notice. And then, of course, the farther we got into the stay-at-home orders issued primarily across the United States in the last part of March, all of the April and May events began. So 100% of our members uh, to be held in April and May uh, were canceled by virtue of government authority. And now, I guess the unfortunate thing is that story continues to be told right on into the fall months now, right, Marla? Exactly right. Uh, we we actually have fairs happening in every single month of the year, but obviously uh, the prime season is July, August, and September. That's when the majority happen. For the month of June, for example, and again, not we don't have a comprehensive listing of all the fair dates. Some some fairs don't share that uh, with us annually, but we had 51 that we knew were scheduled for June, and as of right now, 44 of those have canceled. So I think June is going to be very, very difficult for July fairs. And this was this was uh, of checking on things in the mid-morning on June 1. Uh, we're constantly updating our database, but about a third of the fairs in July have canceled. Uh, less in August, but again, we've seen fairs into September and now October that have canceled. Off the top of your head, Marla, do you know of any fair that did happen, no matter size, in May or maybe within the next 10 days might be occurring? I'm just curious if anybody no. is seriously going to still try to go on. No. There are some livestock, independent livestock shows like junior uh, livestock shows that are happening in Texas. I happen to be friends with a large network of uh, VOAG instructors there in Texas, and I'm seeing some social media posts of their kids being able to be out and uh, be at some livestock shows in Texas, but they're not part of a full-blown fair where we have all of the things that we expect with the carnival, with all types of entertainment, with uh, competitive exhibits, commercial exhibits, food and beverage, as well as the livestock shows. So the, the fair in and of itself, no. We just got word actually this morning of one carnival being able to operate a three-day weekend type of event over Memorial Day in Oklahoma, and that's the first that we've heard of any carnival being able to operate anywhere in North America. Let's talk more about that, Marla. Again, Marla Calico is along with us, President and CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions, her headquarters in Springfield, Missouri. But she travels, as she said, not only across the United States but around the world on behalf of fairs. Now let's talk a little bit about the the details behind the scenes that the average fairgoer, again, is not exposed to. Uh, you and I were talking off mic about the magic of a fair. 
Well, that magic takes some doing to happen. And that is where people fail to realize the conundrum of COVID-19 and trying to go forward. Give us kind of the bullet list of things people should be aware of that make it difficult for a fair to go forward, regardless of how strong, heartfelt their intentions are. Sure. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to expand upon that. It is magic. It is also like a juggler. If you think about being at a fair and watching that juggler that's juggling fire or knives or bowling balls and they try to get as many as they can up in the air, that's your that's your fair board president and a volunteer fair. That's your fair manager. They are going to have close to a dozen balls of fire or knives up in the air at any one time and you drop one of those things and the show's over with you can't do it so let's break that apart not every fair has the carnival but the majority of fairs that take place across the united states have some type of mobile amusement operators those businesses have been stuck at a standstill since mid-march they haven't gone out uh they they're taking the time to work on their rides and get it but to move a carnival down the road it depends upon a route it's going from one fair to another fair to another fair, maybe doing a festival or a shopping lot date. And so, for example, if a fair in central Wisconsin is scheduled for July 20th, let's just say, and the carnival that is booked, already booked for their event, if they cannot get there, if, if this is going to be the first fair, they can't afford to walk out the door because there's no guarantee that once they get there, they're not going to be shut down. That's the other part of all of this that's intermixed with every decision, that this disease that we know nothing about could rear its ugly head and a fair could be put together and automatically shut down. That carnival routing is also duplicated to a large extent with a lot of mobile food vendors and some commercial exhibitors, especially for your larger state fair. And you've got to build the route to be efficient. Uh, you just can't open up and go to one fair as a one-off type deal. And for fairs, that carnival revenue in many, many locations is a significant source of revenue. Here's the magic. That's what funds the livestock shows. Agriculture is a loss leader. It's what we do, it's why we do it, but it's a lost leader when it comes to the bottom line and finances of the fair. It has to be supported. So the money that a fair makes off of Carnival, the money that a fair makes off of the food and beverage, whether they operate selling some of that themselves or they have other vendors, the money they make off of entertainment, all of those pieces contribute to the bottom line and the financial health. Uh, you know, some fairs, depending on where you're at in the United States, some fairs get funding perhaps from their county, perhaps from their state, maybe some premium reimbursement. But by far and away, the majority of fares in the United States do not receive taxpayer subsidies. Not-for-profit is a tax status. It's not a business proposition. So a fair has to operate like a business. So if you take all of these pieces that have to come together, the planning of all of it, the idea that one piece cannot be completed. It may or may not ruin the whole thing, but if, if it takes too much out of the revenue stream, they have to think about it. The other thing they have to think about with this wrapped around all of this is the uncertainty that they're actually going to be able to open. And I think this question of social distancing, what is a fair going to look like? Is the health authority going to force you as an organizer to be the social distancing police? Uh, will people adhere to that? Uh, will sick people stay home? What's the liability if, if you open up and later on s- 
some guest claims that they got sick at the fair, even though it probably can never be proven. What does that say about the good name of the fair? Uh, and then what's, what's the sentiment within a community? Um, you know, depending on where you're at, your friends and neighbors may not want to come out to the fair. They don't want to come out and support it. They don't want to be around other people. And then sadly, with millions and millions of people in this United States out of work, can they afford it? Do they have money in their pocket? So a fair is also faced with that situation. If we can open up and if we believe that we can manage some of these social distancing and other requirements that are going to be put up on us by government, will people actually come? What if we put all of this money out and nobody shows up or they don't have any money to spend? And then I think about the availability of volunteers and staff, no matter your, no matter the size of a fair. It's dependent upon volunteer help. Sadly, the majority of volunteers at fairs across North America, they're older. Uh, they're in that at-risk category. Will they want to be able to volunteer? Can they volunteer for their own safety should they stay home? And the same goes for staff, too. I know a lot of fairs, particularly across the Midwest, they use 4-H groups or high school bands, high school cheerleaders, church youth groups to help them execute the fair. Uh, they don't, the, you know, kids will come in and clean the barns or pick up the trash or run the clean team on the bathroom in exchange for a donation. Well, what if they cannot, as an organized youth group, do that? How is a fair going to accomplish those very vital uh, services? And I know 4-H, um, by virtue of the ties with extension across the country, in many instances, they just simply, there can be no organized 4-H activity. Um, you know, there are all of these things come into play, and it's the uncertainty. That is the <laughs> sad gift wrap and bow on that package. We don't know what's going to happen in July, August, September, October. All we know is what we know today. And I thought the manager of the Minnesota State Fair probably said that best. He goes, we have to make decisions right now based upon what we know today, not what we hope things will be in August. And that's plaguing every aspect of our society today is the uncertainty of this disease and, and, and how it's going to impact. And to put really a big picture on it to, you know, to take us outside the state of Wisconsin. Across the country, there is no single cohesive plan for allowing mass events to go forward from any front, from any entity. Uh, it is all a matter of supposition. Uh, it's all a matter of whim or decision making at, in some instances, a state level, but in most instances, it's a county-by-county county level. And I know here in Missouri, where we're headquartered, uh, in many parts of our state is, are more open up to business than we are right here in Springfield-Green County. Uh, we have more strict requirements than the state does. So you, you see, for fair organizers, the good people in the community who have to make these decisions, the closer they get to that fair date, the more money and more risk they have out on the line. And they have to make the decision that is the best one for their fair, their organization, their volunteers, uh, their sponsors and commercial exhibitors, and their community as a whole. Well put. Marla Calico, President and CEO of the International Associations of Fairs and Expositions, again, constantly keeping you up to date on the difficult decisions that our fair boards across the United States are being forced to make today, keeping their fingers cro crossed 
on a better tomorrow. For more, follow up at MidwestFarmReport.com and make sure you also check out fairsandexpos.com for the bigger picture on what's happening because of COVID-19. I'm Pam Yonke.